Last week, we started our new uh, four, five, and six-year-old class, and the reviews were raging, okay, from the smaller children and the older children to get the little ones out of there. So uh, all in all, big success, so thank you guys for being flexible with that. Uh, but now two classes as you make your way through the first room, four, five, and six-year-olds, the second room, uh, they're the older kids. First Samuel chapter 7 is we're going to be in the Word this morning, First Samuel chapter number 7. As we continue in our series, Backbone, we're examining how to live with conviction uh, amidst compromise all around us. We've kind of tried to set the scene uh, every week of what's taking place in the nation of Israel at this point. It is uh, not very uh, dissimilar to what's occurring in our culture in 21st century uh, America and really just the West in general. And so we're going to look at and examine this morning how a nation, when it falls apart, uh, can find its way back to the Lord. Okay, First Samuel chapter 7, we'll start in verse number 1, and we'll read down the first 10 or so verses to start, and then we'll see what God's Word can teach us this morning. Okay, First Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, and the men of Kirjath-Jerim, if you know the correct pronunciation for that, you can keep it to yourself, okay? <laughs> Kirjath-Jerim, I believe is what it is, came and fetched up the ark of the Lord, brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, and sanctified Eliezer his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long, it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. And said there, we have sinned against the Lord. Quite the change in tone for the past few weeks, isn't it? We've sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together in Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard that, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel. And the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited or, or confused them. And they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, smote them, and they came back under Bethkar. So Samuel took a stone, verse 12, set it between Mizpah and Shin. And called the name of the stone Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Okay, again, working through a study of the life of Samuel. Last week we saw a really strange passage of scripture, didn't we? We saw the story of how the children of Israel lost the presence of God. They lost the ark of God through their treating God like a, like a good luck charm and through disrespecting God and through trying to, on one side, please the Lord and on the other side, compromise against the word of the Lord and how that didn't work, right? And how God removed his presence from them. The children of Israel have been severely humbled. Uh, they've been humiliated. 
They've lost thousands of soldiers of the course of just a couple of battles. The massive compromise of Eli and of Hophni and Phinehas, his son, spiritually, has resulted in rebellion and blasphemy. And then last week we saw the consequences, just the, the destruction that came by the nation of Israel. It's, it's a great defeat in battle, obviously. The spiritual leaders, Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, they've died. The ark captured by the enemy. It's a train wreck. I mean, literally, this is one of the lowest points in the history of Israel. It's a disaster for God's people. They've been playing spiritual games, and then they found out the consequences for playing spiritual games. They've been uh, playing and found out the hard way that sin and compromise does not result in a path of flourishing and joy, but of pain and loss. It's been wisely said that those who do not learn their history are what? They're doomed to repeat their history, right? I love history. It's one of my favorite, was my favorite subjects in school. I'm now a history channel buff and a podcast guy. That's my level of, of history knowledge at this point. But I love history, and I love studying the, the humanity of those who've gone before us. Why? Because we're very, very similar to those who've gone before us. Yeah, we have computers in our pockets, but outside of that, you're very similar to the nation of Israel. We all are. And this morning, we should be humble enough to learn from them, to take principles from what we're seeing, because they've been humbled. And now they have to return back to the Lord. The Lord is their only hope. The only hope they have is to return to the protection and power and promises of the Lord. And that's a sobering reality for us as well. We must also return to the Lord. I'm going to start this morning by asking a question. Okay, Do you need to return to the Lord? Do you? Do you need to return to the Lord? How would you answer that question? I think theologically and biblically, the correct answer is that every single person in the room this morning, in one way or another, needs to return to the Lord. In some way in our lives, we have wandered. We're prone to wander, like the hymn writer says, right? It's kind of wired within us. Some of us, we've wandered our whole lives, kind of blindly following the leadership of the things of this world. And today, God may be calling you to return to the Lord in salvation and find forgiveness and purpose and love and acceptance. Some of us have received the Lord as our Savior. We're saved, but we find ourselves continually wandering, wandering towards maybe a certain pattern of sinfulness or a certain addiction of some kind. And maybe today, God is calling us to return to the Lord in purity. Maybe others of us, it's not necessarily wickedness and sinfulness. We've wandered away from the Lord in apathy. And in just a casualness and complacency about our relationship with the Lord. And uh, sometimes my spiritual walk is best categorized as meh. Like just, it's kind of lukewarm is the Bible word, right? Not hot or cold. It's just kind of existing in complacency and apathy. Today, let's return to the Lord. So all of us in some way can return to the grace and purpose and forgiveness in the person of Jesus Christ. I think each of us, as we study this passage, will see in one way or another, we are being called back to the only one who can satisfy, to the only one who can meet our needs, to the only one who has the power to sustain us, and my hope is that we run back to him this morning. I also want us to notice the beauty in our text, that Israel is plagued by wickedness, plagued by sin, broken and humiliated, and yet God is pursuing them. God is running after them. 
that the Lord continues to pursue his children in his love and grace and mercy, even when they're up to their knees in the muck of wickedness and sinfulness. He's still pursuing them. He's still desiring for them to come back. He longs for their return. He pursues them. He raises up a godly leader in Samuel to to call them to repent. And I think even today, right now, here, 2024, that's weird saying out loud, 2024, where we are in the room hearing this with your ears, reading this passage with your eyes, is yet another proof that no matter how far we've wandered, no matter how far we've gone away, no matter how deep we are in our sinfulness and rebellion and brokenness, the fact that we are here is another proof that God has not given up on us. It's another proof that he is pursuing us, that the God of heaven is coming after us in love and wants us and is jealous for our affections and our worship and love. And the fact that you're here this morning, I think, is another proof of that reality, that he is desiring a relationship with you. And just think for a second how mind-blowing that reality is. That God Almighty, the God of glory, the one we just sang a thousand hallelujahs, right? That God, the God who made every little cell in your body, the God who designed everything in creation, is today again tracking you down, as the old preacher used to say, as the hound of heaven, pursuing you, wanting you, desiring that you have a relationship with him because he loves you. Think about that. We should be humbled by that. We should be amazed by that. We should be struck by the fact that, once again, God has not only not forsaken us, he is today personally pursuing us because he loves us. That is what's happening in our passage. That's what's happening in the word this morning, the call to return. The Holy Spirit is seeking us out to draw us into himself calling us to stop wasting our lives in rebellion and compromise as the nation of Israel was and to come to the place where true satisfaction can be found, okay? That's the topic of our study this morning. We must return. It's time to return. Let's go back to verse 1 and, and work our way through it. I always want to say break it down, but that's, that gives a promise that I'm going to be doing something more aggressive than I'm actually going to be doing up here. So we'll make our way through the text this morning. There will be no breaking it down We'll see. Who knows? Who knows? No, but. Verse 1, we see the ark has made it back to the nation of Israel. It's being held in the house of Abinadab. Okay, they've got a young man named Eleazar that's been sanctified to watch after the ark. But they are pretty complacent. They're not bringing it back to Shiloh. They have no desire to really focus themselves on the presence of the Lord. They're still in rebellion. They're still in complacency, even through the last three chapters we've been studying. In verse 2, it tells us it's been about 20 years since the last time we, the End of chapter 6 closed, the beginning of chapter 7. About 20 years has passed since Eli has has passed away, since Hophni and Phinehas has passed away, since the Ark of the Covenant has been taken. 20 years, Samuel's grown up. He's now a a, a grown up. He's an adult. He's a man. He's now leading the children of Israel spiritually. And in verse number 2, after those 20 years, look at this. The house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Some of your Bibles might say they mourned after the Lord. All of Israel lamenting after God. Wow. Wow. It's, it's really interesting if you look back at chapter 6, verse 19. This isn't the first time we've seen Israel lamenting. Chapter 6, verse 19, we see the children of Israel lamenting, but not in the same way. Chapter 6, they were mourning because life didn't go the way they wanted it to. 
In chapter 6, verse 19, they're lamenting and mourning because of the circumstances of their decisions has found them in in destruction and trial and mess and, and consequence. So they're lamenting their situation and status in life. Now, important theological term for us, church, because that biblically is called worldly sorrow. Okay, we'll see that all throughout Scripture. You see that a lot in the New Testament, worldly sorrow. What is that? That is sorrow and lamenting and mourning that my life is not currently the way that I want it to be. Okay, When we're upset that things got difficult, when we're upset that we made sinful choices and resulted in, in consequence and in suffering or in trials or in difficulty, worldly sorrow is I'm bummed out that my plans didn't go the way I wanted them to. I'm disappointed that life isn't going the way that I planned. They were, uh, were under some kind of a trial or a difficulty or a health uh, situation. And there's some circumstances in my life that are just, I'm, I'm bummed out over. I'm mourning over. I'm lamenting over. It's worldly sorrow. They're, in chapter 6, verse 19, they're not sorry about their sin. They're, they're not disappointed about their decisions. They're not sorrowing over their wickedness and their rebellion. They are just bummed out that their life didn't result the way they wanted it to. But over the last 20 years, evidently something changed between chapter 6, verse 19, and chapter 7, verse 2. Chapter 7, we see they're not lamenting their situation. They're mourning after the Lord. They're lamenting after the Lord himself. This is not worldly sorrow. This, scripturally, is called godly sorrow. That is the mourning of the brokenness of our sins, the lamenting over the wickedness of our hearts. And there is a massive difference, I hope you can see it this morning, between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Between being disappointed in the consequences of my actions and being brokenhearted over my wickedness and sinfulness against the Lord, right? So between chapter 6, verse 19, chapter 7, verse 2, we don't really know what happened in these 20 years. We don't get a whole lot of insight. All we know is something took place in the nation of Israel that has resulted in this nation no longer excusing their wickedness, but lamenting it. They're sorrowful because they have sinned and offended God, that they've compromised their walks with God. Notice here, it's no longer God's the problem, it's I'm the problem. It's no longer the situation of my life, I'm mad that I'm in the, 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 the situation that I've been. No, or I'm, I'm upset at myself. That's the number one thing I need to be aware of, is my own relationship with the Lord, that I'm like we said, prone to wander, that I'm the one who's going to be walking away. Not him. 20 years have passed, and the ark has still not made its place back in Shiloh. 20 years. They had completely lost the presence, a sense of the presence of God. That's one of the worst things that can happen to a nation, obviously, in Israel, but it's also one of the worst things that can happen to, to God's church, where we become indifferent to the presence of God. Ah, if the ark's here, if it's not here, it's not a big deal. For 20 years, they're not even concerned with where the presence of God has been. But now, all of a sudden, they're lamenting after the Lord. That's good news. They come to Samuel, verse 3. Samuel spake unto the house of Israel, saying, if, that's a big if, okay, if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you and prepare your hearts unto the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. This is an often repeated call in Scripture to return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. You'll read it dozens of times in the Word, to return to me, especially in God's relationship with his people, Israel. Return. Come back. Return to me. Samuel stands up and says, if you do return. Now, why do we need to return to the Lord? 
because they've been separated from the Lord. Their sin has caused a separation between the nation of Israel and their God. As, as Christians, we have to understand that sin grieves the Holy Spirit in our lives. That my relationship with the Lord is not what it could be or should be when I'm living a life that is filled with sinfulness and wickedness and rebellion. Even as a Christian, that sin can cause a separation in relationship. Now, as an unbeliever, if you're not yet in Christ, that sin is separating you from eternal life, right? It's separating us from any kind of relationship with the Lord. Sin separates us. Sin distances us from God. So when God calls us to return, we are coming back to his position. And that happens not one time in the Christian life. Sometimes we talk, yeah, I, I repented and I trusted Christ as my Savior. I was, you know, 21 or I was 17 or I was, a, you know, I remember when that happened, I repent. No, this is the, the ongoing, constant, habitual reality of the Christian journey, okay? I wander, I repent. I wander, I return. I wander, I come back. Isn't this the battle we face almost every day that Jesus offers to us everlasting ever satisfying perfect living water and yet on an average tuesday morning we find ourselves pursuing the broken wells of filth like he's offering to us perfection and satisfaction and all that is good and all that our soul desires and yet once again we are finding ourselves in cisterns that contain not joy and peace but misery and emptiness this morning we need to return to the source return to the living water we must now, you say, Andrew, okay, I'll do it. What does that mean? What is returning biblically? It means confessing our sinfulness. It means admitting our sinfulness, forsaking our sinfulness, and pursuing a relationship with the Lord. And a lot of us this morning, we find ourselves, and we are up to our knees in the muck and sludge of our decisions, and we feel kind of trapped in it. I remember when I was a kid, we used to go to this little summer camp area, and uh, they had like a little pond where you could get out and kind of go on paddle boats, which is the least fun ever. If you've ever gotten a paddle boat, that's just the least fun activity you could ever have. Like, tons of work, little reward in a paddle boat, right? Uh, so you can go out and you get, get a canoe out or whatever. And uh, we always ended up just hopping on the canoes, and we'd just, you know, end up kind of fighting each other in the water. And uh, it's just, it, when you get down in the, this little, I don't know, lake is generous, pond, uh, you get down there, you just start to sink. You know what I'm talking about? And you know that I hope this is mud is the first reaction that you're having. You're just kind of sinking down. You end up like calf length or knee length just in sludge. And it's just difficult to move. You can't even get up, get out. It's kind of you're trying to get back in the canoe or the boat, and you're just kind of wedged in there. And some of us, we've been in that situation spiritually. We're just kind of stuck. We've made some decisions. We, we've chosen some paths that have resulted in us just kind of being wedged in some really sticky situations, some broken, filthy situations. And we don't know how to get out of it. My mind goes to the story of the, the prodigal son in the New Testament, right, that Jesus told. This guy has all the blessings of his father. He's living in the, the house of the landowner, yet he doesn't want any of the blessings. He doesn't want any of that, that living water, so to speak. He wants to go and sow his seeds. He wants to go and kind of plant all the, all the joy and all the, the pursuits of the world. So he goes and he does and spends all of his money, ends up where? Ends up in the, in the pigsty working first with the pigs, eventually eating the food of the pigs, and thinks to himself, why am I here? How did I get here? You feel stuck. You feel wedged in. You have a moment of what, where, how, why is my life situation resulted in this moment? And he says, I got to go back to my dad's house. At least I can be a servant at my dad's house, right? He returns. 
when we get there, we realize again the promises of this world are nothing but lies. And we're told this will give you joy, this will give you peace, this will give you freedom, this will give you self-expression. And what do we find? We find chains and we find destruction and we find pain, we find loss. How did I get here? Why am I here? The invitation to you this morning from Samuel and from the Lord is to return. To return. This is where the children of Israel find themselves and I think this is where, if not all of us, many of us find ourselves this morning that it's some area of our life I need to return to the Lord. How do we do that? I'm really glad you asked. Now we can get into it, okay? How do we return to the Lord? Samuel gives us instructions. First thing he says, you need to return with wholehearted repentance. Wholehearted repentance. Look at verse number three. Samuel spake into the house of Israel saying, if, I love that, if you're gonna return, he's not mincing words. Samuel's a prophet of God here. He, he speaks really directly. He says, if you do return to the Lord, look at this, with all your hearts. With all your hearts. He says, if you're gonna return, if you're going to come back home to the Lord, it cannot be half-hearted. It cannot be half-hearted. It's wholehearted repentance. Did you know, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as half-hearted repentance? Ah, yeah, I'm kind of bummed out over what I did. But I kind of still like it a little bit. You know, like, uh, I, I made some decisions, but, you know, the situations of my life really, there's no such thing as half-hearted repentance. There's wholehearted turning. With everything that we have, we return with our whole hearts. Repentance cannot be ritualistic. This is one of the big dangers that can come with religions that will teach you some of some kind of robotic, robotic nature of repentance. Repentance cannot be robotic. Repentance cannot be manufactured. Repentance cannot be ritualistic or mechanical. It is wholehearted returning. Returning is intensely personal because it's a relationship you're returning to. You're not going back to a place, you're going back to a person. You ever returned to a relationship, returned to a person? Maybe it was a marriage relationship and there was a separation of some kind, and there was a returning that happened. That's an intensely personal kind of thing, isn't it? Right, because you're returning to a relationship. You're not returning just to an address or a home. You're returning to a person. When you return to the Lord, you're returning to someone you have a personal relationship with. You can't do that half-heartedly. I want you to imagine this morning that maybe in a marriage relationship, one individual pursues someone else, and then they come back and say, you know what, I want to pursue a relationship with you and this other person. It ain't going to work. Right? You're not really coming back. You're kind of here, and you're kind of there. Right? Half-hearted returning is kind of an oxymoron. Half-hearted repentance doesn't work. Returning is intensely personal. You know what James tells us? James chapter 4 tells us the Lord is jealous for the affection of his people. We hear jealous and we think overzealous protective boyfriend. Uh, it's usually what our minds usually run to. Someone that's insecure in their relationships, so they need to execute jealousy over somebody else. And jealous can be a positive thing. In a healthy marriage, in a healthy relationship, there is a healthy jealousy. That I want you to have that relationship with me, not with everybody else, right? I want your affection. I want your communication. I want your, that's what I want, right? You're jealous for it in a positive way. James chapter 4 says the God of all heaven is jealous for the affection of his people, is jealous for the worship of his children. He is perfectly and wholly jealous of our love because he created us for that. And the highest pursuit that we can have in this life is to pursue that relationship wholeheartedly and passionately. You know what that doesn't sound like? That Christianity is kind of my Sunday morning thing. 
it doesn't sound like this is something that I just prioritize a little bit every now and then. This sounds like this is a wholehearted, whole life kind of relationship with the Lord that God is after. The clearest path to returning to the Lord is repentance. Repentance. There is no more powerful way, there is no more direct way to return to the Lord this morning than to repent of our sinfulness and wickedness and turn to him. Now, Andrew, what is that? What is true repentance? You're asking such good questions this morning, and I have the answer for us today, okay? How do I know I'm truly repenting, right? How do I know if I'm just going through the motions? How do I know if I'm just kind of doing something because I'm supposed to? Samuel gives us a great description, okay, what true repentance is. The first thing, first description he gives us when we truly repent is that we trash our idols. We trash our idols. God this morning is looking for undivided hearts undivided hearts because a divided heart is an undevoted heart a divided heart is an undevoted heart the scriptures tell us we cannot love god and the world at the same time you can't it's not like do your best and try it's not it won't work out that well for you it is that you cannot do it you cannot love God and the world at the same time. Andrew, I wish you had a verse for that. Again, great question. 1 John 2.15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man does love the world, then love of the Father is not in him. I just wish the Bible was clearer, right? No, if love the world, the love of God is not in us. We can't do both. If any man loves the Father, then he's not going to pursue a passionate relationship with the world. If any man is desiring the things of this world, you cannot simultaneously desire the love of God. You cannot love the world and God at the same time. Scripture tells us we've got to choose one. We've got to choose one. That's a painful choice sometimes. We've got to choose one. This is what Samuel's saying. If your whole heart is involved, then you're going to love the Lord with your whole heart. And if you love God with your whole heart, you're going to trash everything in your life that gets in the way of that. Whatever gets in the way of my relationship with the Lord, I'm, I'm going to remove that from my life. He says to verse 3, put away the foreign gods to trash your idols. Now, we'll notice a couple different idols given names for us in the passage. We'll see Balaam mentioned later. We'll see Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth would have been a Canaanite system of gods. The goddesses of Canaan, most of them were focused on love and fertility and sexuality, were these Canaanite kind of shrines where they would worship in these kinds of ways it's again in scripture we see that one of the greatest forms of idolatry that exists in all of humanity history present future is the obsession that we have with humanity with desiring sexual freedom sexual immorality sexual sins one of the major desires and competitors in our lives still the competitors for israel's affections the competitor for our affections is the desire for sexual immorality. The Bible says that comes directly in between me and my relationship with the Lord. And it's one of the major, I'm in my Bible reading right now, Revelation 14. It talks about the systems of Babylon. It's really interesting. It kind of talks about where the world is going at the end. One of the two descriptors of where the world, the system of Babylon, the two main idols that the world is going to force on us. They, they try to sell us that kind of a desire and attraction, the Number one, sexual immorality is a predominant idol, not just in our culture, but it was as well for these children of Israel. 
And the Bible tells us that one of the clearest signs that we're pursuing the things of this world is pursuing that kind of immorality. And still today, the pervasiveness of this and the destructiveness of this continues to, even this morning, destroy so many lives. And that might not be the one this morning, the idol that you have to trash, but let's talk about which ones you have to trash. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to kind of point some things in our lives. That this is, this is something that's coming in between my relationship with the Lord. What are they? For some of us, maybe this morning, Ashtaroth answered that question. That maybe that's an idol that we need to destroy this morning. We cannot love God and the world at the same time. We cannot pursue sinfulness and genuinely pursue a relationship with the Lord. Another really clear idol, actually the second system uh, of Babylon that talks about a god that we pursue, an idol that we have, is money. Money. We have to choose. Matthew 6, Jesus tells us really plainly again, you cannot love God and money. You cannot pursue wholly a relationship with the Lord while prioritizing and pursuing financial pleasures. He says you're going to love one or the other. Now, God is never anti-money. We see that throughout Scripture. God gives us money and resources. But understand this, the pursuit and the worship of those resources, that's quickly becoming an idol, that we cannot serve God and those things. Again, interesting enough, in Revelation, those are the two major sins that describe the, the majority of the systems of our world, sexual immorality and exorbitant living. It says that is the description of what the world looks like towards the end of time. Two sins, two idols that really kind of summarize the entire problem of the systems of our world. And maybe this morning money has gotten to a point where you love it so much that you don't quite love the Lord. And you love freedom or you love the enjoyment, you love the pleasures that it can bring to the point that we no longer enjoy and worship Jesus. You're trying to do both. We've tried but Jesus' words ring true. You cannot serve God and mummy, money. Maybe mummy. <laughs> um, maybe today you don't need to hear another idol. Maybe you've already got yours. And the Holy Spirit is being clear in our hearts right now. That's my issue. I need to trash this, this exorbitant desire for more, this greed within me. Maybe it's the, the lust issue and this, the, this desire for morality. Maybe for others of us, uh, your idol sits in your phone right now. It's about three inches by five inches, and it buzzes every four seconds, right? And most of us, we say we don't worship our phones, but you open it up and uh, we, we struggle. There's moments where I'll leave my phone at home and I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, what if, what if someone calls me? You know, I get home and I get a bunch of news notifications and like, nobody called me. Now, you guys are all going to call me in like the next five minutes. So I'm going to turn my phone on silent really quick because I know your personalities well enough. But um, we're addicted to it, right? We prioritize it. For some of us, it's comfort. It's the desire for ease. It's the desire for, for my life to be smooth. For some of us, unfortunately, it can become our, our relationships, people that we place on a platform they are never supposed to be at. And this morning, my hope is the Holy Spirit can speak to us and say, these are some things that are coming between your relationship with me. They're blocking what I want to do in your life. They're, they're keeping you from spending the time that you need to spend with me. And my hope this morning is as the Holy Spirit speaks, we ask a good question, which is what do we do with those things? I think this morning we throw them in the trash. We, we abandon those things. What does he say? He says you trash your idols. And secondly, he says you direct your heart. He says you direct your heart. Look at verse number three again with us. 
He says, Samuel spake in the house of Israel, saying, We do return to the Lord with all your hearts. Put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. And, look at this, prepare your hearts unto the Lord. So he says, you need to identify these sins, identify these idols, reject them, trash them, so to speak. That's a massive step. It's a huge step. It's a step that maybe some of us need to take this morning. But can I tell you, once you throw all of your idols in the trash, one of the worst things you can do is sit there and stare into the trash can. Oh, man, Andrew said we need to spend less time on this or can't love money so much, so I'm going to put this in the trash can, and then we just stand there and stare at it. I miss you, money. <laughs> I, I miss you, freedom. I, I miss what you gave. I, I miss the comfort. I miss you, phone, right? Uh, my phone has some different things set up on it for, like, screen time. I don't know if you guys know you can do that where it, like, tells you how much time you spend on your phone or what you're doing, how many minutes you spend on social media or your, or your bank app or whatever. It'll kind of tell you. Um, that's, like, the worst thing for me. I do much better res- not being on my phone until I tell myself I'm not going to be on my phone. If I tell myself, Andrew, you're going to spend four hours away from this phone, it is like I see it everywhere I go. It lights up. There's something on it. Something's happening. I need to go pick it up. But if I just forget about it, right, if I'm doing other things, all of a sudden I'm okay, right? Some of us, we've trashed our idols. We've, returned, we've, we've turned away from some, some addictions, some, some, some sins in our lives. But all we do is we just stare there and long for them. Can I tell you, verse number three says, don't just stand there and look at your idols, trashing Ashtaroths and trashing these, these Balaams, and then just stare and say, oh, I miss you. He says, direct your heart to the Lord. He says, we turn from the idols that we've trashed, and he says, you direct or you prepare your heart unto the Lord. Repentance is turning. It's turning from that which we've turned from, turned to the Lord. We trash, and then we turn. We remove, and then we return to the God of glory and of love and of hope. And my, my hope this morning is that we can take some heart inventory right now and ask ourselves, where is my heart being directed today? Where is my heart being directed? Think about the last few days or the last few weeks or months or maybe some of those last few years. Where is my heart being directed? How do I figure that out, Andrew? Again, wonderful question. The easiest way for us to figure out where our hearts are, where our hearts are prioritizing, where are you spending your time, where are you spending your thoughts, where are you spending God's money, that'll reveal to us where our heart is being directed. What does Jesus say? Where your treasure is, that's our time, that's our thoughts, our mental processes, that's our, that's our financial, right? Where your treasure is, there is your heart. There will your heart be also. So where is it being directed? Better question, to whom is your heart being directed? Is there a person in your life that has more of your heart than the Lord does? Then that person in your life has become an idol, and that needs to change. And let me tell you, so while I love my spouse more than anything in this world, can I tell you, if you love Jesus more than your spouse, you will love your spouse more. You'll love your spouse better. That, that these relationships, sometimes they can be an, an idol in our lives. That needs to change. Some of us, it's really painfully clear this morning that our relationship with our Facebook and Instagrams is unhealthy, okay? The, the relationships we have with social media may be something we need to turn away from because it's directing our hearts. And it's something we're getting far too much affirmation or, or some kind of, uh, you know, a pride or addiction from it. We've got to turn from it. Way too much of our hearts. Maybe for some of us, there's some 
some, uh, I don't know, some music that this morning we need to turn from. And I like music, right? I'm not saying you only listen to K-Love 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but I can tell you as a Christian, there's some stuff you probably shouldn't be listening to. Not probably, there's some stuff you shouldn't be listening to. There's some stuff that's not going to direct your heart towards the Lord, but it's actually going to direct your heart in a way that is opposite of the Lord. And why do we think that as I prepare my heart that way, that my heart is going to be moved to worship God? It doesn't make sense, right? So maybe I need to turn from that, but don't just stare in it. When I was in high school, we used to have these burn barrels. I grew up in like a weird Christian environment sometimes. Um, and we'd come back from camp, or we'd come back from these, these spiritual decisions, and they'd have barrels outside. And we'd throw like the things that we got right with the Lord, we'd throw them in the barrels. You know, so we'd throw our, I don't know, your NSYNC CD that you felt like, I shouldn't listen to NSYNC anymore, so you'd throw it in the barrel or whatever, and you'd burn it. And then what was so funny is we'd all kind of participate, and then we'd all just stand around the barrel sad. <laughs> like, oh man, there it goes. There it goes, all my fun, right? It's just up in smoke as I'm watching it, right? Understand, it's not just about resisting something and then longing for it. It's, man, I want to turn towards something else. Music is from the Lord. You realize that? He created it. It has a very unique way of directing your passions, your interest, your desire, your heart. Right? I'm not saying it's got to be Christian 100%, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but I am saying maybe there's some stuff that's pointing my heart the other way. Maybe there's stuff that's pointing my affections a way that isn't pleasing unto the Lord. Maybe that's got to be resisted. Maybe for some of us there's a relationship that needs to end or relationships that need to end. And even trying to hold on to it. And even trying to cling to it and do both. But you know in your hearts right now the Holy Spirit is telling you that relationship is not helping your walk with Jesus, but it's actually damaging your walk with Jesus. It's taking away from your devotion to him. Trash and turn. Direct your heart to Jesus. Direct your heart in relationship to those who love Jesus. Maybe you're a young person in the room, Valentine's this week. There's a 16-year-old boyfriend or girlfriend that has more of your heart than Jesus ever had. Can I tell you, it's not going to go well, right? I love Jesus preeminently. We see what Samuel's telling the people. He's telling the people that our priorities lead to our pursuits, which lead to what we have passion for. What we prioritize is what we will ultimately have passion for. Uh, one of my professors in school used to tell us, uh, you have time for that which is important to you. Right? In other words, you will prioritize that which you care about. In other words, if you didn't care to do your homework, it's because you didn't, you don't, it's not that you don't have time, it's that you cared about other things more, right? You have time for that which is important. You, you prioritize that which you love. If we're serious about this, I'm, I want to walk with the Lord, I want to have a relationship with God, then I've got some things that I need to remove to direct my heart to him. I got some things I need to get rid of so I can point my affection, so I can point my worship to the Lord. I'm going to prioritize it. Then thirdly, how do I know if I'm truly repenting? I see that I'm getting rid of some idols in my life, some things that are taking the place or are damaging the relationship that I have with the Lord. I'm going to direct my heart away from those sins. I'm going to direct my heart away from those relationships to the Lord. And then thirdly, you serve him only. Serve him only. God is not a compartment of our lives. He desires exclusivity in our worship. What does Jesus say the number one commandment is? Love the Lord with half your heart and half your soul and half your mind, right? No, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? It's really clear what the Philistines did when they got the Ark of the Covenant. They wanted to make God a God amongst other gods, right? Let's put God in there with Dagon. Let's put him with the other gods. Let's, let's make him one of many. God is not a God among many. The Israelites did this too multiple times in their 
the Old Testament, where they try and add God to the gods of the Canaanites, or they add God to the gods of the Philistines, and try and, try and work God in with the other ones. Samuel says, no, you got to run from every other idol, verse 3 says. You direct your hearts unto the Lord. And then what do you say, verse 3? And serve him only. We have an exclusive relationship of service and worship to the Lord. True repentance is wholehearted. True repentance is not divided. True repentance is, God, I'm going to serve you only. Not with my leftovers, but with everything I have. I want to serve you. I want to know you. Repentance is this, is this bedrock of Christianity. Yes, at salvation. Yes, we receive Jesus. Repentance is absolutely necessary when we get saved. To turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus. You have to repent to be saved. If you haven't repented, you haven't been saved. Okay? We have to repent. But understand that. It doesn't stop there. Someone say, yeah, oh, when did you repent? I repented 25 years ago. No, 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 like, you should have repented 25 seconds ago. Like, it's a constant thing. We constantly repent. Repentance continues on. Oswald Chambers says the foundation of Christianity is repentance. Strictly speaking, a person cannot repent when he chooses. Repentance is a gift from the Lord. He said the old Puritans used to pray for, quote, unquote, the gift of tears. I love that. I love that. The gift of tears. That's something we should pray for often. God, would you keep my heart soft? God, when I wander away, God, when I pursue these other idols, when I pursue these other relationships, when I, when I run after my wickedness, would you once again give me the gift of repentance, the gift of my heart being softened to the truth of your word? This is something we pray for for our church. I've, I have no interest in like a stuffy, pretend to be something that we're not kind of religious environment, okay? I have, I have no interest. I don't think you do either, otherwise you wouldn't be here, okay? So we don't have that. Um, but pray that God will give us the gift of tears. All around our church, on every little, every flat surface, just not, you know, you're finding you're finding a box of Kleenex. You know why that is? Not, it's one, it's cold season, okay. But two, they're here in the summer too. Why? Because time after time after time over the history of our church, God has granted to individuals the gift of tears. And we see him for who he is, and we see us for who we are. And the only natural response to that is pass me a Kleenex, man. Right? We're not, we're not, I'm not interested. Only God is interested in some kind of static, emotionless, passionless kind of relationship. You're going to repent. It's going to hurt. We're going to return. It's going to bring sorrow and joy and pain and, and emotion. When we seek Jesus, when we're broken our sinfulness and our wickedness and our, our decisions, and we encounter a God who is holy and perfect and righteous, and yet he loves us and pursues us and wants to know us, and he desires to have us, the only response we should have is, God, would you help me? And pass me a tissue. God works among us. God, continue with those holy tears. He must do it. We're not here to manipulate. We were joking before the service about... Um, some services, church service we'd be in where someone really wanted someone to make a spiritual decision. And the church I grew up in had, it was a big church, and they had big, like an altar at the front where you'd come and you'd pray at the end if you're making a decision. It's awesome. I would do it here if we didn't have uh, no room to do that, okay? Like, uh, I love the concept of it, of making a decision about what we heard from the word. Um, but sometimes it just it wasn't happening, right? And sometimes they're like, well, let's sing another song, right? Let's, let's do another verse. Someone in the room needs to come forward. And eventually someone just goes and prays so we can go home, right? Like eventually it's there. We're not, we're not here to manipulate. We're not here to get us worked up emotionally. We're not here to, to, to play the chords in just the right way where it hits just the right heart at just the right time. Where no. Though the gift of tears of repentance, that comes from him. 
that it comes from our, that it comes from our planning, that it comes from our skill set, that it doesn't come from a good order, or a good singer. It comes from the Lord. May God give us the gift of his tears. He needs to show us who we are. He needs to show us who he is and reveal to us what we need to turn from and turn to. They'll be overcome by his holiness and love and perfection to the point that we turn from our sinfulness to him. So he says, you give us the gift of tears. He goes on, Oswald Chambers, if you ever cease to understand the value of repentance, you allow yourself to remain in sin. Really powerful concept. If you forget the importance of repentance, you will allow yourself to remain in your sinfulness. He said, examine yourself to see if you've forgotten how to be truly repentant. Wow, examine yourself. That's a good thing to do in church. Have it. Have I forgotten? Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts for the pride that kills, for the control that we want over you, for the stubbornness and selfishness of our hearts, for our laziness, for our excuses, for our self-obsession, for our greed. Holy Spirit, would you search us for our lust, for our would you reveal to us that we're just consumers of religion and not worshipers of God? Would you, would you show us? Show us we haven't loved our neighbor as ourselves. Lead us this morning to true repentance. Messages like this are, are pretty rare um, in our churches today. I don't like talking about it because it's, I need to do it myself, right? This past week as I was getting ready, man, there was just constant of like, well, there's one thing. You're talking about that idol. You probably have that one. You need to return from that one. And you repent from that one. Turn back. We have to repent. We have to turn back. And if it's been a long, long time since you have, my guess is this morning is that we have some decisions to make and some repentance to do. So we see first, how do we return to the Lord? We do it with wholehearted repentance, not half-hearted, not divided, but fully devoted to the Lord. Secondly, we see it as uh, it's accompanied by fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Verse 6, they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day. And said there that we have sinned against the Lord. Notice, it's no longer everybody else's fault. It's no longer the nation of Philistines. It's no longer, oh, we forgot the ark. It's no longer Hophni and Phinehas. It's no longer everybody else. We, 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 we have sinned against the Lord. That was weird. That was a lot of we's. Uh, we have sinned against the Lord, right? This is something that we've done. And that's an important step that we have to take sometimes, especially as Christians. We can blame everybody outside the walls. Well, this is the, this is the modern revolution of all this stuff. This is where the world's going. This is, we we have sinned against the Lord. That's a powerful sign that God is at work in your life. When you stop pointing the fingers at everybody else and you start looking internally, we've sinned. We've sinned. So they all gather together in Mizpah, and the Philistines heard that, verse 7. They decide, well, everybody's in one place. Let's go kill them. The children of Israel heard that. They were afraid of the Philistines. The children of Israel said to Samuel, don't stop crying unto the Lord for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a lamb, offered it for a burnt offering unto the Lord, and Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and praise God, I love this, the end of verse number nine, and the Lord heard him. The Lord heard him. You know one of the great blessings of opposition, spiritual opposition, of trials, of darkness, one of the great blessings of those moments is that Christians start to pray. We finally start to pray. That's always been true. The more the burden is felt, the darker the situation becomes, the more clearly God's people understand we cannot do this on our own anymore. We need him. And God's people begin to pray fervently, crying unto the Lord. And my hope is this is what we feel in our day. We turn on the news, we see the increased opposition and darkness and pain. We look at our own hearts and we see the sinfulness and wickedness that exists. 
Just like this past week where Paul was in Athens, if you remember the book of Acts, where he's provoked by all the different idols. Like everywhere he looks, there's a new idol. We walk around an average week, and guess what we see? We see idol, 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 idol. We turn on the TV, there's another idol, constantly seeing those drawing the affection of the people. And it saddens us. It should. It should make us sad. It should burden us. The, the lostness, the blindness of the world in which we live. What is the answer to that? Well, we need to get angry. And we need to put a bunch of signs up. I'm not against signs necessarily. I'm against some signs. But um, it's not anger. It's repentance. It's prayer. That we wholeheartedly seek the only one who can actually help. Instead of yelling at the darkness, maybe we seek the one who has the light. And I don't see any other options but to repent to the Lord and to pray to him that we have sinned. This is why repentance and prayer among the church is so often the indicator of revival and the initiator of revival. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Hebrides revival. This is a small island off the coast of England. Uh, this is, oh man, 60, 70 years ago now. There's these two older sisters. I should have written down their names. These two older sisters are in the 80s or 90s. They got together and started praying for their region, for their people, uh, really rebelling against the Lord. 80s, 90s, they'd pray like all night, these sisters would. Uh, they heard that there's this young pastor coming in, uh, Duncan was his last name, and uh, he was coming into town, he's going to preach a two-week revival meeting, that two-week revival meeting, he, they, they met there with the sisters, and before they began, he, she, they said, we feel like God's doing something on our island, we feel like God's doing something in our community, we're praying that God will use you, that two-week revival meeting turned into a two-year revival meeting, hundreds and hundreds of people had packed this tiny little chapel, they'd pray for hours and hours and hours, Duncan would preach for like 10 minutes. And people would just pray, and they'd pray, and they'd pray. At one point, there was this young guy, probably in his early 20s, late teens, got up and prayed for 45 minutes. As he did, just people were peeking through the windows, just masses of people around this tiny little chapel. They came in at the end of the prayer and said, somebody come help. Everyone downtown at the police station, there's just people lying on the ground outside the police station, crying out to God in repentance and forgiveness. Duncan goes down, all these people are coming to Christ. It's this amazing thing. Of course, in two years, they see close to 80 to 90% of the population on that island comes to Christ. Two little old ladies stayed up and they prayed. That is the hope. Yeah, well, what's the hope for this world that's going the opposite direction? What's the hope for our, our city, our community? What's the hope for? The hope is that God would move. What we know from the word is God wants to save people. What we know from the word is God wants to have a relationship with his people. It's what we know is that God wants to move. The question is, do we want to pray? I remember I was uh, 17 years old. The church that I grew up in was, again, Southern and different and uh, nothing necessarily bad or wrong, and it just different, okay? Um, there was about seven or eight of us. We went to the church one night. I was, again, senior high-ish age. We walk in, there's seven or eight of us, and we decided, you know what, we're gonna pray, seven or eight of us. Uh, as you can imagine, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds prayers are not necessarily the most hyper-spiritual moments of all time, okay? Um, you know, there'd be a lot of times that we'd spend time together praying or whatever. There's something just unique about that night. And we're there, it's probably 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. We're walking around and we're in the church, we're praying. Uh, before long, we realize that that 10-minute prayer meeting has become about an hour and a half or two hour. Um, there's guys there that are confessing sinfulness and addictions and things that they've gotten wrong. And just a very unique kind of move of God just kind of set in that happens not often, but sometimes in our walks with Christ, it'll happen. We're just, we feel a unique presence of the Lord in the moment. And uh, as a result of that, mo that night, um, there were seven of us there. 
Uh, I'm here, okay? Um, one of my best friends is a student pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Another one is a student pastor in Las Vegas. Another one is a student pastor in Nashville. If you didn't realize, I'm the age that student pastors should be. Um, <laughs> they're all still in that. I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? I'm too young for this. Um, our church got really swept up in a really unique move of God over the next several months. Um, the adults kind of caught on to a lot of that. A lot of people came to Christ. There's just these moments in our life where, you know what? Some really neat moves of God happen when we pray that they would happen. And it's amazing. Like, well, the world is just falling apart, and they're doing this. Did you see what was on the news? Maybe, maybe, maybe we should talk to the one who could help. Talking about everybody else, what's going on out there, the evil that exists in our world, the only hope for New England, the only hope for our community, it is going to require men and women and children to have a burden to pray, believing that God wants to do something, believing that God wants to move. And what an example to me those two women are. And God gives us the faith to pray that way. God gives us the perseverance and zeal. They prayed for years that God would move before he ever did. Maybe this morning the repentance we need to have is to repent of our prayerlessness, of our self-sufficiency, and believe once again that God wants to do something. I need to hurry. Number three. Number three. How do I know that I'm repenting or returning? I have wholehearted repentance. I'm trashing my idols. I'm directing my heart to the Lord. I'm serving him only. I'm, I'm finding myself with this fervent prayer and desire for him to move. And then thirdly, we respond and return with great faith. Verse 10, Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistines drew near to battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day. I love that. God moved upon the Philistines, confused them. They were smitten before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, smote them. They came together. Verse 12, then Samuel took a stone, set it between Mizpah and Shin, and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto the Lord hath helped us. Let me ask you this. Why would we wander away from the God of thunder? Now, you guys are Marvel fans. That's not Thor, okay? Um, God is the real God of thunder, okay? With better hair, too, I'm sure of it, than Thor, no? Why would we leave the only one who can help? Why would we leave the only one who can save, the God who is unstoppable, all-powerful, majestic, omniscient? Why would we wander away from the only one who can help us? from the only one who can save us. The one who in a few, I believe in a few short years, we're going to see riding on the clouds to gather up all of those who belong to him. Why would I wander? Then it says Samuel gets a stone. After, after this victory, after God confuses the Philistines, they smote the Philistines, God works on their behalf through their repentance and returning. Verse 12 says Samuel took a stone, set up between Mizpah and Shen, and called the name of it Ebenezer. You guys might have heard that word before in a hymn we sing sometimes, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. Maybe you heard of it from the Christmas carol from Mr. Scrooge, right? Ebenezer. What does Ebenezer mean? Look at verse number 12. Saying, hitherto or up until now, the Lord has helped us. The Lord has helped us. So I made a stone this week. Here's a picture of it, Stacy. Stacy's got one. I made a rock. I think I put it back here. Here it is. Oh, I shouldn't have been down. All right, there we go. This is my penmanship, by the way, if you notice that. I got me a little stone. I'm going to put it on my desk as a reminder of what? Up until now, God's helped us. You look at your past. You look at your history. You look at your life. And you're going to have some moments across, across the history of your time where I was faithless and he was faithful. 
where I repented, where I turned, where I was found myself in the muck and the wickedness of my decisions, and I trashed the idols, I came back to the Lord, and guess what we found? We found Ebenezer, the Lord has helped us, the Lord is faithful. Maybe many of us didn't know what the word meant this week, but we can admit he's helped us, can't we? He's helped us. Life's hard. Man, there's pain, there's loss, there's confusion, there's hurt, but God's faithful. Trials are guaranteed. Pain will always be there, but he is faithful. So here we raise our Ebenezer. The Lord has helped us so far, and he will continue to help us. So with great faith this morning, what do we do? I repent again. I return to him again. I cast aside some things that have got, there maybe were some good things in my life that have become God things. They have far too much importance and far too much weight and far too much of my time. And this morning, I'm going to turn away from those things. I'm going to direct my heart to the Lord. I'm going to serve him only. I'm going to pray for God to move. I'm going to have a desire with great faith that God's going to do something in my community, do something in my family. Samuel stands for the people says, hey, you want to come back? This is how you come back. You want to return? This is how you return. And my hope this morning is there's some of us in the room today who are coming back. And maybe this is the first time you've sat in a church in a long time. Come back. My hope is that today we can return to the Lord. Turn from these things that have separated from me, me from him. Turn my heart and my affection with all my passion and desire to know him, focus on the Lord, serve him alone, and pray with great faith that God will do something in our midst. And the promise of our Lord is Ebenezer. He's helped us so far, and he'll help us again. Would you bow with us for a prayer this morning?